With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. And welcome to Fast Break Breakfast MBA Podcast. My name is Keith here alone for a solo interview episode. The regular episode with John and Chuck will be up later this week. It was kind of a tough weekend for a lot of NBA fans, including myself and John as Grizzlies fans. I'm not going to have a Grizzlies funeral today, but sad to see the season end. Also sad to see the nights of three games a night are now officially over until October. So, uh... This is when my mind starts to check out. You know, second round of the playoffs, when the public starts tuning in, I get a little bored. But anyway, today we're going to talk about one of those teams whose season ended this weekend as well, the Atlanta Hawks. But before we get to that, a reminder, we are looking for more votes for the Memorial Magic alumni team in the basketball tournament that's coming up. One of their players, Derek Byers, playing in the basketball tournament also was a draft pick in the big three which i watched on facebook live on sunday until the power went out in my neighborhood but to support the memorial magic alumni team and also support fast break breakfast you just go to fastbreakbreakfast.com and that will redirect you to their team page and you just click vote for this team it doesn't cost you anything it's totally free and you're giving us a chance to win money if the Memorial Magic alumni team wins it all in this summer's the basketball tournament. So be a pal. Go to fastbreakbreakfast.com and vote for that team. My guest today is a writer for the Atlanta Hawks and host of the ATL and 29 podcast, Mr. Kevin Chenard. Kevin, how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Ah, happy to have you. When you we're say, not going to do anything depressing like a postmortem, are we? No, this is a. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't a funeral. It's a celebration of life. Oh, we're, okay, good, good. We're good. gonna we're gonna focus on the good times, all the best Dwight Howard jokes, uh, <laughs> anything anything else. I'll, I'll leave it to you. I'm gonna give the atmosphere of this episode. It, it, that's in your court. Balls in your court. Uh, as as positive as you want to be about it. <laughs> um, no, I was going to ask. Uh, when you, I know you cover the Hawks. Uh, I follow you on Twitter and, and follow you for your lighthearted takes on on the Hawks. Uh, but do you, do you write for the Hawks website now? Is that what you're doing? I do. I uh, it's you know I um I do some of the longer f- stories. Uh, so you know I'm I'm like a contracted freelancer. Uh, you know, doing some pieces. Next few weeks, I'm going to go through all 15 players you sort of a season recap for each one but yeah i i write some of the i feature seems like too strong of a word yeah, yeah some of the longer pieces yeah gotcha you guys only only use 15 players this year 
you don't you don't you don't sign you don't write up a little blurb for the guys you guys you cut along the way no just to say our mclaughlin song and a and a handshake <laughs> that sounds good well before we get too far it is our tradition to start our episodes talking about breakfast i'm curious as we talk on a monday morning uh have you had breakfast this morning i did my my breakfast is pretty boring it's it's usually a granola bar and a banana and a large iced coffee that's, that's tasty healthy <laughs> are, are you are you stopping are you stopping by a coffee shop to do these things or are you are you a home iced coffee man no i'm a coffee shop iced coffee person there you go that's what i do are you are you take it straight just black or are you uh i'm a sugar man i have a very simple order that just routinely gets screwed up i mean i i don't it's and I go to the same place every day, and they see me when I go in, and they kind of know what it is. And it's just uh, iced coffee with extra skim milk. Okay. But and and that's just too much. I I guess the number of days when it comes out dark brown is just kind of kind of high. I would think given you could, the repetition. You could bring in like a uh, what do you call it? like a like a paint swath like a little sample card of like what what color you want your coffee to be you're like i want it iced coffee this the good thing is i work from home so you know if if it's ever too bad of a failure i can always just come home and put some milk in it there you go <laughs> that's great but the coffee swath is a good idea I, yeah I'm, I'm into that you should do it just be like this is i'm tired of it you can have it in a shirt even my name is kevin <laughs> my name is kevin this is what i want my coffee to look like thank you i'm not being difficult um, all right, so the Atlanta Hawks obviously wrapped up their season over the weekend, were eliminated in the first round of the playoffs against the Wizards. Uh, you don't know this because we're not using video Skype. I just realized I'm actually wearing a Wizards t-shirt, and that's not, I'm not trying to be aggressive. I just, it just happened to be, uh, it's an old Al Thornton jersey. So, uh, Al Thornton? Yeah, I thought it, one, he was a Florida State player. I went to Florida State, so I liked wow. him. And I think okay. I saw this online once, you know, for whatever it was, like $6. I'm buying that. So, uh, well, yeah. are, are you a Memphis based person? I'm a Nashville based person. I live Nashville in Nashville, but person. yeah, I, okay. I am a Grizzlies fan and I do talk about the Grizzlies a lot. Cause uh, I but, think my favorite Jersey is a, is a, uh, is a Grizzlies OJ Mayo with the OJ at OJ juice 32, uh, Twitter handle. Oh yeah. I'm, that's a good one. I've never even seen that. Is that, oh, was that I, sold in the to team take a store? Picture for you. That's pretty good. I, it may have been sold in the t-shirt t- t- store. I think I got it like long after he was even on the Grizzlies in like you know, uh, you know, for like a dollar or something. Right. OJ <laughs> May- clearance discount place. My favorite OJ Mayo jersey is the one where the name is crossed out on the back, and you write in Ed Davis, and then Ed Davis <laughs> is crossed out, and you write in Jeff Green. That's the that's the best one I've seen so far. That's but, powerful. <laughs> our thoughts are with you, OJ. Hurry back. Um, no, uh, so the Hawks finished their season. I'm curious in in a big picture, what's your general sense of like how, how did the season go? Um, I mean, I thought the season went kind of true to form. I figured, you know, I guess it was last year they won. I want to say 48 games. And I kind of figured that this season they'd win around 45. I think they won maybe 43. Um, so I, I thought it was about what I expected. I thought they were kind of built up more for the postseason. And 
I thought they kind of fizzled in the postseason. The regular season kind of went the way I would expect. Yeah, the regular season was was up and down. It seemed like they would have stretches where you're like, this is a top, you know, like a, a six to ten if we're doing power rankings type team, like they would win for a month and then they would just be <laughs> horrible for a month. And I, I, I was definitely struggling. I do my own power rankings uh, for some of our listeners. And sure. I, have a, I have a rule where a team can only move up a maximum of three spots, can only move three spots either way every week. And the Hawks were trying because like, you know, like I would bump them up and then it's like they got killed for whatever, three games in a row. And it's like, I can only move them down to 12. I'm sorry, guys. But yeah, it's hard to, to win. I, would, I think they won 43. Mm-hmm. It's hard to win 43 games when you have like a nine game losing streak and a seven game losing streak. But <laughs> they managed to do it. What do, what do you attribute the season being like a reason they were so up and down? Um, As far as those two losing streaks, you know, it, the one was kind of predictable. It was like a West Coast swing. It was around a holiday. It was like four games and five nights where you'd end in Golden State on the road. I mean, it, it was like a, a trap road trip. So they probably shouldn't have lost nine straight, but there were definitely some schedule losses on that first one where, you you know, the best they could have done would have been like four and five um, on a nine game in that nine game stretch. And then the second one was just they didn't have Millsap. <laughs> yeah, right. And, you know, that's a that's a bad harbinger of things to come if he's not here, because they really do sort of begin and end with him as a foundational piece. They don't have really any others. I mean, they have two promising young players in Schroeder and Prince. But as far as, you know, just somebody that's going to be the rock day in, day out, play on both ends, it's it's Millsap. And when they didn't have him, they were a hot mess. I definitely remember that. I took the Hawks over in the in the over unders in a pool and it was they were they were coming down to the wire and it looked like with whatever three weeks to go they were clearly going to get over and then Millsap quit <laughs> and then Millsap quit playing and it was like this is killing me and I think that they they ended a half game under based on uh, the standard Oof. we were we were going with uh so this was year one you just called him a promising young player this was year one of like the keys to the car being given to Dennis Schroeder did he live up to expectations? What's your review of the first year of him being the full-time starter? I thought he did really well. Um, you know, I think you have to take it from a, a broad perspective here. Um, the first thing was, you know, going into the season, I thought the key for him was if teams played under on pick and rolls, was he going to be able to, you know, step back and take a three-point shot? you know, basically a wide open three point shot because with his speed, you know, if they play under, they're going to play way under and he's going to have time to shoot it. And, you know, he was like a league average three point shooter this season, you know, probably pretty good on, on the, uh, what's the word for it? Pull-ups where you kind of just dribble and step into it and shoot him. I thought he did a really nice job when he has space. He has this very rhythmic, mechanical, slow catapult like release, but you know, he's shooting it the same way every time. And it's, going in at a decent rate, and I thought he continued that into the playoffs, which was really promising. So with that being the one thing that I was really looking for this season, I thought he did a good job. He was the player on the Hawks who played the most games and the most minutes. And he's, you know, he's not a gigantic guy. He's probably, you know, I don't know what the official listing is, but he's probably six one and a half, one eighty five, something like that. And, you know, that takes a toll. I thought he did a good job staying healthy. 
you know, staying into it, being competitive day in and day out. But I think with his defense, there's more potential there than what he necessarily did on a day in, day out basis. And again, you know, when you lead the team in minutes and your first year starting and you're not a big guy and you're constantly getting slammed into picks, you know, it's probably tough to play at your top defensive intensity every single game. Um, I thought he did better against really good point guards than he did against like poor point guards. So, I mean, I think he can do it, but I think he needs a little bit more defensive consistency. Yeah, he's a guy who when he was the backup and when he first came into the league, I really liked him more as, I guess, a novelty. You know, he's, he's got the fun hair. He's slight a frame. <laughs> he's German. So he's, he's foreign. So like, I liked him as a novelty, but then the more he played just, I don't know if it's aesthetically or something else in a non, I guess, spelled out way. I, I didn't enjoy his game. And I kind of thought maybe he was secretly bad, but he obviously had, statistically he had a really good playoffs who scored a lot of points, getting a lot of assists. So I'm curious, he exists somewhere where I don't really enjoy his game and I'm not sure he's good. Do you feel, you said he, he lived up to your expectations this season, but do you feel going forward, he's someone that can lead the Hawks into being like a, a decent playoff team? I don't think you want him being your best player, but yes, absolutely. (laughs) I think he, you know, it's a league of point guards. So there are a lot of good point guards and I absolutely think that he's one of them. And like I said before, I think he plays well against top competition. I don't think they necessarily set him up for success this season. They are, there's just not a lot of floor spacing with the Hawks. They were not a good three point shooting team. You know, of the, of the 16 playoff teams, they were 14th in three-point percentage in the regular season and 14th in three-point percentage in the first round of the playoffs. So, you know, among good teams, they were one of the worst three-point shooting teams. And the only team that was worse in both the regular season and the first round was Chicago. And you know they're not a good three-point shooting yeah. team. So, you know, that doesn't bode well, and that just didn't give him a lot of space to work. So he can be a better passer than he was this season. And he's, you know, he's a young kid. He's 20, somewhere between 22, 23. He's a young kid and and passing instincts are going to get better with him over time. But I think that it was tough for him to be a good passer this year, just because the passing lanes were just kind of clogged. You know, when you mentioned when he first came into the league, you know, when he did first come into the league, he was playing with Pero who was, you know, sort of a stretch five when stretch fives were a lot more of a novelty. And he had all kinds of space on the floor to work with. And so, you know, he got used to driving to the basket in paint that was virtually empty. And then this year he's playing with Millsap and Howard, and he's trying to figure out, you know, how to get his shots off at the rim when it's a traffic jam down there. Right. In the playoffs, I was curious, did did the Hawks ever consider, I know Ilyasova didn't get that much playing time with Millsap playing so much. Was there ever a thought? And I guess this is a bigger. This will go to a bigger question. Um, as far as the playoff rotations, was there ever a thought of like trying to do Millsap at center and have Ilyasova and have them be the front court? Obviously, that's undersized, but just maybe to try to get even more spacing out there. Um, I, I'm not really sure how to to answer that, but I'll say this: you know, during the regular season, once Ilyasova arrived, that was basically their finishing front court. So they would play. You know, the final five minutes of each half with Ilyasova Millsap for the most part. Uh-huh. 
And, you know, that might have gotten a little bit trickier into the playoffs. I think Ilyasova had a, a minor injury that made it maybe a little bit trickier to do that. But that was definitely something that they were doing on a finishing basis. Okay. Uh, but they weren't starting with that. They were starting with Howard Millsap. And, you know, sometimes that works. Sometimes that put them in some big holes. And, you know, when they got into big deficits, they did go small. That was something they did very consistently. Every time they were behind, they were going to go small. Um, and so sometimes it was even more than the five minutes, but there were variations on that too. Sometimes it was Millsap Muscala or, you know, Muscala and Ilyasova. But as a rule, you know, Budenholzer's not afraid to go small, especially when he's behind and looking for points and the offense is kind of clogged like a bad toilet. Right. Uh, those regular season games, we talk about this a bit on our show. The Atlanta Hawks exist because I live in Nashville, Tennessee. They exist in a blackout zone where I hardly ah. ever see any of the regular season games because we are a primary market for the Memphis Grizzlies. And, sure. if, and if the Grizzlies and Hawks play on the same day, uh, the Hawks are blacked out on league pass and not on television. So, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've actually contacted, like three years ago, I spent a lot of effort trying to contact people with Fox Sports and the Atlanta Hawks to be like, I feel like you guys should want Hawks games to be on Comcast cable. Do sure. you know they are not in Nashville for like eight, you know whatever a large percentage of their games? But I gave up. I mean, I I I eventually got in contact with some vice president of the Hawks and sent emails. But I'm not a Hawks fan, so I didn't care that passionately. But anyway, <laughs> yeah, these uh these closing lineups, yeah, I, I miss seeing them. But in the playoffs, it, he didn't go to that right. Like, did did he ever try that much in the fourth quarters? I know uh, Muscala was playing some, and they were yeah, benching I Howard. Think Muscala was playing better than Eliasova, and I think that may have been because Eliasova was hurt. But mm-hmm. like in in that game six, the closeout game when they were down by a lot and almost, you know, they I think they cut the lead to three after being down twenty something. Right. Um, they were using Millsap at center. Uh, which kind of forced the Wizards to put Markeith Morris at center, which, you know, that was that was an an edge that or that was a matchup that I think the edge in favor of the Hawks. But at the same time, it kind of peeved Dwight Howard, which I think you had in your outline as the thing you wanted. To talk about. <laughs> well, I don't necessarily it, it is part of the I guess the national storyline. Like, I'm, I'm not even super interested in it, but. After the loss, all of a sudden, Dwight Howard starts making his stink about being unhappy with his role and not playing, which is, I mean, it's, it's reasonable. to Competitors want to play in fourth quarters of games. But sure. also, the, the long internet history of Dwight Howard unhappy goes back almost every season for, for the last 10 years. Um, let's just skip that topic. Uh, the <laughs> Closing the book on the playoffs and this season, looking back, in hindsight, I'm curious... They obviously they traded Cal Corver for a Cleveland pick a couple years away. And at that point, most people thought now because of Paul Millsap's contract situation of being able to opt out that they would then trade Paul Millsap. But they did not. They kept him, that they finished the season. Now the season is over. In hindsight, how do you think the Hawks did at the trade deadline? I thought they did well at the trade deadline. I I have no issues. I think, you know, a lot of people took the Corver trade as a signal that they were you know, ready to cut it up and and slash the roster and tank. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I, you know, you can kind of take it a few different ways. And one thing that I think they definitely wanted to do was they wanted to make room for Torian Prince. I think they definitely made a commitment in the second half of the season to get him minutes as a way of preparing him. He really didn't play a lot in the first half. And, you know, I think they saw an opportunity to 
create a little bit of space to get him in the rotation. So, you know, that, that Corver trade may have just been almost like a, you know, a developmental move to, to clear some space to get Prince in. And is the focus on Prince getting the minutes, is that a reason that Cephalosha didn't get in the playoffs at all? No. <laughs> oh, well, so why did it's Cephal- not. I mean, I don't, I don't think it is because they didn't shorten their rotation that much. Right. Um, so, you know, Prince may have been the person that kept, uh, Prince may have been the person that kept Cephalosha from being a starter. Mm-hmm. But they, the Hawks routinely played Mike Dunleavy in mm-hmm. the playoff rotation, which was kind of surprising. And it was at small forward. They were playing uh, 10 deep in the rotation in the playoffs, sometimes you know, dipping into 11 to give Cephalosha a few minutes here or there as a defensive specialist. So they were playing basically a 10-man rotation. And, and Dunleavy, who got here late, you know, was, was one of the 10. Now, you could say that that was because the Hawks wanted to play sort of five out off the bench, you know, when they had a lineup with Calderon and Ilyasova, Muscala, Dunleavy, and Bazemore, uh, you know, and maybe Hardaway if they were doing some kind of staggering, but you know, they could bring out five shooters and make a lineup that was ideal for drive and kick, drive and kick, drive and kick until you've got a really nice looking three point shot. And that, that unit worked really well for them. But I still don't see some. I didn't see anything in Mike Dunleavy's performance that said he needs to play above Cephalosha. And I know Cephalosha is not a great three-point shooter, but if you had put him out there with other four, uh, you know, four other shooters, he definitely could have kept the drive and kick thing going and had the opportunity to get some finishes at the rim and be somebody who could guard Bradley Beal because they really didn't have anybody who do that job. So I take it from your answer, you're you're a little more confused why Cephalosha didn't play more. Because I was trying to figure it out. A a one minute Google search didn't really turn up any answers to like injuries or anything. No, I mean the only real injury that the Hawks had in the playoffs was you know they mentioned that like an Ilyasova bruise or something sort of in the middle of the series, and he was even then he was probable. So you know they maintained all along that Cephalosha was healthy, ready to go, healthy, ready to go. Now he had a late season injury that kept him out of the rotation for you know eight or nine games, uh, almost, but not quite all the way uh, to the playoffs. So this would have been like games like seventy-two to eighty or something like that where Cephalosha just missed him. And so that kind of, you know, may have thrown off his rhythm, but then he came back for a couple of games at the end of the regular season and looked pretty good. So, you know, I'm sort of surprised that they didn't play Cephalosha. I think it probably makes it harder to re-sign him given the way things ended. And that was a little bit surprising to me because he seems like the kind of piece where, you know, maybe you could get him back on a reasonable contract, giving his age and his offensive ability, you know, that he's not going to be a player who's necessarily overpriced, but he's definitely a rotation-worthy NBA player just because of how good he is defensively. You know, you can put him out there on A1 scores and expect him to do a pretty good job. Yeah, it kind of, as an outsider looking at it, it seemed like, oh, that's the expiring contract, and they're just kind of cutting bait, like letting him go. I remember the Grizzlies years ago uh, didn't play Ed Davis and James Johnson in a playoffs when they were both expiring contracts, and I was yelling at my TV years ago like why aren't these guys on the second unit there are better players but that is the, yeah that, that was strange so yeah just cephalosha being out of the rotation was why i saw people on twitter just kind of grumbling about the rotations i guess so the hawk the hawks now are at 
I guess, the difficult place of an NBA franchise. They've had prolonged playoff run. They've they made the playoffs 10 straight years. And I actually looked this up. They've made the playoffs, Kevin, 47 of the last 62 years. That's pretty good. That's good, yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. So they are this team that keeps making the playoffs and are criticized somewhat, much like my beloved Memphis Grizzlies, for maybe not being contenders. And now they have a difficult choice of re-signing your best player, Paul Millsap, who's older and going to command a large contract. So what do you think the Hawks should do? Like, should they continue this, just kind of keep building what you have and maybe you don't have a chance of being a title but keep winning the playoffs? Or should they make a, a drastic change, the always mentioned but probably not always a good idea, blow it up strategy? It's funny that you mentioned Memphis because I thought that was a good analogy for the Hawks this season. You're just kind of, a, I felt like they were sort of the Eastern Conference version of the Grizzlies this season. Mm-hmm. I, I could be mistaken, but I think over the last few seasons, the Grizzlies have maybe outplayed their point differential. You know, they're one of those teams that's above always. 500, but sometimes they have a negative point differential. Yeah, yeah. The Grizzlies always outperform their Pythagorean expected wins and exactly. their point differential. Yeah. That's what I felt the Hawks were like this season because, you know, they had this defensive-oriented lineup. And like I mentioned before, the spacing was a mess. But they focused on defense and rebounding, and, you know, and they had Schroeder running the offense, and they were able to win a lot of close games. They were very good in clutch situations, tight games, you know, fourth quarter comebacks, things like that. But then when they did lose, you know, there were some just devastating losses where they get blown out by yeah. 40 or 35. And, you know, a few of those games came when, when Paul Millsap sat. So, you know, I thought there was a lot of analogy there. I think I even at one point tried to kind of prod Boonholzer in that direction. And he just kind of shrugged that question off. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> but, you know, I, I thought that was a good analogy. Now, in terms of what they should do, you know, I'm not necessarily a championship or bust type player or type person. Um, you know, I don't necessarily subscribe to that. And I'm not also a person who's a big believer in, you know, prolonged tank jobs. Mm-hmm. I don't see, you know, a lot of the contenders right now being the result of, of prolonged content, uh, prolonged tanking. And so, you know, I wouldn't do it. And I don't think Budenholzer is programmed for that either. You know, he comes out of San Antonio where the 19 years that he was there, they probably won 50 games, you know, 17 of them or something like that. So he said that his goal is sustained success. And I take that on face value. Um, one thing we don't know is how much ownership is going to be involved in the big decisions. Um, so, you know, that could play a factor as well, but you know, if it were up to me, I would do everything I can to keep Millsap. You know, I think he's, you know, it's obviously a different thing because there aren't championships, but I think he's going to have a Duncan like progression over his career as he ages. You know, I don't think he's going to be a terrible player. I think he's going to be a very good player and it's, it'd be painful to pay him 40 million four years from now. But for the health of the franchise, for him being a locker room guy, for him being a guy who plays smart, plays with his hands, you know, I think he'll age well. Um, the big question is, you know, even though he has two years on his contract, what do you do with Dwight Howard? Because it was a choppy ending to the season with him. And he seemed upset about his role. And, you know, the Hawks didn't particularly seem enamored with playing him because, you know, as we said before, Budenholzer liked to go small when he's behind and that lineup with had 
that had Dwight in the starting lineup continued to just regularly get behind, and then it made him more and more unplayable. It was just kind of this vicious cycle where when he was out there, they would fall behind, and once they'd fall behind, they wouldn't play him, and then he wasn't really happy with his role. And I don't think he had a particularly good postseason uh, just in terms of energy and activity and being healthy for the team. So, you know, I think that's a big question. You know, they want to keep the player who's a free agent and they might not want to keep a player who they've actually signed. So they have <laughs> they have some big issues. And, you know, this is the longest response ever. But I think the biggest issue that they have is they spent a lot of money last offseason. They signed Schroeder, they signed Bazemore, and they signed Howard. And, you know, each one of those moves – by itself is, I think, an individually defensive or defensible move. I think they're all kind of in isolation makes sense. The problem is that coming out of last season, those three players weren't necessarily, or in the case of Howard, definitely weren't great shooters. Um, you know, Schroeder had a nice shooting season this season, but I don't think he was like, you know, somebody that had this rock solid reputation as a shooter. And to spend whatever they did, let's see, you know, uh, you know, probably 200 million or is that right? Yeah. Somewhere around 200 million on those three players in a league that's constantly going four out five out and based on shooting is kind of tough because you just have to have shooters and they signed so much, they committed so much money to three players who aren't necessarily great shooters. Yeah. I think it's interesting that the average NBA fan, I feel like thinks of the Hawks as a three point shooting team. But they, they actually they haven't been good at it. You know, I don't know if that's just leftover of Kyle Korver's highlights, but they haven't been good at it for years. So, so the Hawks are in a tough situation. Obviously, like, Bazemore is paid a lot. He's probably not a starting wing for a really good team. Like, he's a nice player, but may, maybe more of a backup. Um, you mentioned a lot, and, and we want to get you out of here and wrap up. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, I think the interesting thing is, like, the Dwight Howard is, you talked about the Paul Millsap thing will be an ownership probably decision. I think like the Dwight Howard thing, and maybe Brad Rowland said this to me when I talked to him last off season about that might be more of an ownership thing, a more economic decision for selling tickets, you know, in in, in Atlanta. And so, yeah, the Hawks do have that tough road forward. I, I, the path to being good, as you said, all the good teams now did not do a long tank job. Like they might have gotten lucky with a one year tank, you know, and ended up with, with a top pick, but Mm -hmm. it is, it is, it's getting lucky with like Torian Prince becoming a really good player or the Hawks, you know, like a late round draft pick, maybe this year being good. So um, hope they can get to do that. And, and I'm curious, uh, kind of last thing. Um, do you think the city of Atlanta, I know the city of Memphis and the surrounding fan base, like we're more of a, we've bought into this culture of Grizzlies. Like they have the grit grind thing. And so we're kind of happy. I know not everyone's happy, but like we won two games against the Spurs that, actually kind of sustains the Grizzlies, you know, like, like, like the, I was looking this up in the last seven years, the, the Grizzlies have the seventh most playoff wins. The Hawks have the eighth most playoff wins. Um, so it's like, I'm curious, does that culture of just making the playoffs, does that kind of sustain itself in Atlanta? It probably doesn't, you know, I, I don't think they have the type of fan support that Memphis has. Maybe, you know, if you look back at the two seasons before this one, if they had claimed a couple of games from Cleveland, uh, that they might have that kind of, you know, we're pretty close, we're almost there type fan support. But, you know, I it was kind of a big mental hurdle after getting swept from the Cavs, swept by the Cavs twice that you kind of felt that that team had run its course. And so now it's, you know, what do you do since then? And, 
you know, I think they did a good job in, in locking up Schroeder, but they've got to figure out what it's going to take to to build a personality for this team. And I, I think they thought Dwight Howard being kind of a a big personality, being from Atlanta, being a big name was going to help the team in that respect. But I don't know that the city of Atlanta fell head over heels for Howard and you know, I don't think his play necessarily dictated him being a signature star. So they they probably have a ways to go in terms of fan support. All right, two two, two real quick questions. Last thing, uh, who's your all time favorite hawk? Oh wow, that's tough. Uh, how about I I tie two together here? Okay. I was a big fan of Dan Roundfield way back in the early '80s. Don't even know who that is. Yeah, well, he was kind of a you know kind of a big. St- Dirty power forward, uh, you know, around 78, 79, 80, around, around that era. Okay. Uh, and he was around the Hawks uh, as, as Dominique Wilkins was joining the team. And Dominique is one of uh, Dan Roundfield's biggest fans. So, you know, those, those are the two that, that I find myself connected to. That's pretty good. I'll, I'll definitely look up Dan Roundfield. I'm sure he has an extensive YouTube uh, playlist of highlights. The- it's hard to find video. It's hard <laughs> to find video of all the players from the late seventies. That's a real dry era for good video. Right. I actually was thinking about. Uh, obviously, I, I was looking at the Hawks basketball reference page this morning, kind of in preparation. I was thinking about those Dominique Wilkins teams. Like yes. everyone's talking about the Clippers right now. I feel like those Hawks teams are a good historical parallel to what the Clippers have gone through in the fact that the Hawks, I think had home court advantage in the playoffs and were winning 60% of their games for like four or five straight years, but never got to the conference finals. So that's like one of the last teams that had that level of success, but didn't regular season success, but couldn't translate it into a, a little more in the postseason. And I think like the Clippers, you know, they kind of were the first team in the history of the franchise to really capture their city. I mean, that was even then, that was the most popular team in Atlanta Hawks history, I think. I don't think there's any team sense that really captured the city the way those teams did because you know, they were like the Clippers in that they played fast and physical and high-flying basketball that, that was you know, pleasing from a spectator standpoint. Last thing, what's your opinion on Volt Green? Oh, I, I like the Volt Green. All right. I'm I'm all behind the the you know the color scheme the redesign I like it all. The one thing that's funny about the the jerseys that the Hawks have, and I don't know that it was intentional or not, but you know they've got that sort of subtle background triangle design that they have on their jerseys. Right. It absolutely killed the knockoff jersey market because you'll see somebody come in with the the bad <laughs> you know jersey that was bought for twelve dollars on eBay. Yeah, and it just looks like a you know like a gingham checker triangle checkerboard or something. It doesn't look like the actual jersey in any way, shape, or form. So intentional or not, they they really ruined the knockoff jersey market with that triangle pattern. That's pretty good, like the watermark on a check. I yeah, like it. absolutely. I will say the jerseys. I feel like the Hawks jerseys look awesome in person and weird on television. So I, <laughs> so I, I don't know, like, like everyone being like, these Hawks jerseys are terrible. I'm like, I thought that. And then I saw one when they, like I saw one in person somewhere and I was like, oh, that looks amazing. So yeah, who knows? Well, Kevin, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, can you tell people about your podcast or anything you have coming up or anything you want to plug? Uh, I mean, we're going to be doing some uh, season postmortems, you know, autopsies, a lot of depressing things over the next couple of weeks. Looking back at the Hawks, uh, I had one today with Pyle Doshi. 
She's uh, she follows the Raptors pretty closely. So we talked about Raptors Bucks and Raptors Cavs. She liked the Raptors chances better than I did, but it was a fun podcast. And we talked about some interesting things like, you know, whether Bruno Caboclo was still two years away from being two years away. And, uh, you know, whether USA, USA chance in Milwaukee were corny or not <laughs> from Canada's point of view. Definitely corny. Come on now, Milwaukee. <laughs> I think I think Caboclo's two years away from being in the big three. That's just my... Oh, wow. I don't know. That's just slander. Raptor slander hidden at the end of my Hawks podcast. You know, that's <laughs> funny because I, I kind of might have agreed with you until like two weeks ago, and then he became like this D-League playoffs phenomenon once the roster got sliced up and they still won a championship on his back. On the back of Coach Stackhouse, you mean? He's a good coach. Yeah. He, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready to see Coach Stackhouse in the NBA. I don't think he's going to... Uh, I don't think he's going to be in the D-League for long. Yep, sounds good. Well, Kevin, again, thanks so much for your time, and hopefully we will talk to you soon. All right, have a good one. All right, thanks to Kevin for his insight. He did keep it not too uh, morose, not too sad. The Hawks have a good thing going. Always making the playoffs is something to be proud of, I think. We just need the right catchphrase. I don't know what that is. Anyway, If you want to support our show, the best way is to go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash fastbreakbreakfast, and you can join our Patreon group. Those are our biggest fans who financially support the show. The highlight of that is our Slack chat where we talk about basketball and whatever else around the clock 24-7. It's a lot of fun. It's fun getting to know our listeners and interacting with them in that way. So if you've been listening to us for a long time, and maybe you want to join, maybe you want to take it to the next level, that is the way to do that. Patreon.com slash Fast Break Breakfast. All right, you guys are the best. Thanks for listening. And remember, breakfast is the most important thing. Yeah, never apologize for being TNG. Fast Break Break, man, you understand? With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.